Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Table Manners. I'm Jessie Ware and I'm here with my mum at her house. How are you mum? I'm okay darling. You made dinner for us yesterday. Yeah. It was so delicious. You are the best at roasts. I love you so much. When you do those garlicky smelly beans. When you do the garlicky cannelli beans with parsley and they make me so happy and you put that with the lamb. It was just a great combo. And then when you let me have mint, mint jelly because there wasn't that much. I just I'll loved it. some more this um, week. And then you kind of, yeah, you blew my socks off with the most sugary chocolate cake. I love that it was gluten-free, but it's going to give you a heart attack with the amount of sugar that was on it. So thanks so much for that. I didn't eat it. Yeah, I mean, it really stressed me and Sam out. God, you get stressed out by chocolate cake. Apparently so. Your world's very small. (laughs) Apparently so. It was really... Fuck. Fucking hell, yeah. God, life. Please, when will it... Chocolate cake's done it Death by chocolate, yeah. No, honestly, getting high on chocolate cake. God, when will this lockdown end? (laughs) Anyway, today we have a corker of a guest on. We've got the Lord Lloyd Webber, Andrew Lloyd Webber, for everyone else, on Table Manners today. We're going to be Zooming him at his home in Hampshire. I'm sure my mum's going to ask if I can get a part in one of the musicals. He received a knighthood in 1992, so he is a sir. Okay, thank you. So he's followed not... by a peerage from Queen Elizabeth for service to art. Is he a sir? Is he a baron? Is he a lord? I think he's all of them. He's also one of the only people that's got an Emmy, Grammy, Tony, and Oscar. Egot, like John Legend, is one of those people. A previous guest. Um, a little fat for you. He's been campaigning to try and get theatres open safely post-Covid and uh, he is quite a remarkable man and you know you will know one of his songs from one of his very successful musicals whether it's Phantom of the Opera, Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. What are the other ones that he's done mum? Jesus Christ Superstar. Jesus Christ Superstar. Cats. Cats. Evita. Shit did he do Cats? Yes. Oh interesting. Yeah. God he's done so many. Not only has he got all of his successful musicals, but he has a musical that hasn't come out yet, was supposed to come out last year. Obviously, COVID's delayed it. It's called Cinderella. The music started coming out recently and uh, we can talk to him about that. And also for all the mums and dads out there that have children that listen to Frozen, he has refurbed the old Drury Lane theatre and Frozen will be on there. So don't worry, he's got you. So many tunes. I'm sure we've got so much to talk about. So many stories. Andrew Lloyd Webber coming up on a Zoom Table Manners. Andrew Lloyd Webber, we are so honoured to be chatting to you. Well, I'm thrilled to be asked. Honestly, this is a really big deal. Firstly, because we're both obsessed with musicals. Secondly, because I always thought I really wanted to be one of the um, children in Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoats. I was so jealous when I went to see it. And they go, 
I close my Anyway, I wanted that. And now I really aim to be the narrator because I, I remember her being so sassy in that 90s production with Jason Donovan. She was amazing. She had like short hair, like a really good 90s haircut. And she sung so well. That was great. And we had Sheridan Smith in the Palladium last yeah, time. Yeah, Sheridan Smith. I didn't see yeah, her. Didn't you see the no. last one? Yeah. And she was the narrator. Yes. And she sort of played all sorts of different roles too. She was Jacob and uh, sort of put on wigs and things. And she was very funny, which is another way of doing it. She's amazing. And it was the Palladium in the day of yore. I mean, once have forgotten what theatre was like. Oh, don't. Although we did get the Palladium open for the pilot that we did with Beverly Knight, where we proved that theatres could actually be open pretty safely. And um, that did allow the government to say that we could be open for a bit of time. But I'm just spending my time at the moment just trying to get the theatres open. And uh, there are all sorts of things that could be done. But we are where we are now. And my feeling is, is the vaccination is the really important thing and that nobody's really going to relax until the vaccination happens. But when the theatres do open again, one thing is going to be vital, that we don't let up on any of the uh, measures that we were going to take anyway if we were allowed yeah. to stay open. We must do that. Ventilation, vital. You know, at the, I, I, it amused me that in 1918, the London Palladium was considered to be the safest place to be in London away from Spanish flu oh, how because of its ventilation. It choked 102 years ago. <laughs> so what, where do you think you would start to get theatres open? Well, I've always said that I thought that middle of May we could be beginning to see things open up. I mean, of course, that was based on the information I had, like in October, November. Um, I think everybody thought that there would be a big, massive spike now, which I think could have been avoided if everybody mm. had just mm. knocked on the head all the Christmas shopping and everything, because mm -hmm. it was ludicrous when we were told that we couldn't go on with the theatre in December uh, mm. because everything was going into tier three. I mean, the sites outside the theatre, which was only 50% full because that was all it was allowed to be, but everybody jostling in all the shops in Oxford Street and Regent Street and everything, it, that did make, I think, a lot of theatre people's blood boil. But they were right to lock theatre down, but they should have locked everything else down mm, yeah. um, at that time because it was going out of control and they knew it. But I think we are where we are, and I, I stick by that date, but I might be out by uh, six weeks. Some shows, I mean, my, my new Cinderella could, could open at 75%. So it, it will, we'll just have to see. I mean, uh, the main thing is to get theatre open fully. Yeah. Um, speaking of Cinderella, when was Cin Cinderella supposed to start? Well, it was supposed to have started um, in sort of April, May last year. Right. Okay. Uh, so it'll be a year late. I, I'd hoped to get it going in October, but then it was very obvious last October that it was not going to happen. I mean, I pray it's not next October, but um, it it could uh, it could be go back to June, July, I suppose. But I'm going to stick with May at the moment. Who's starring? It's Carrie Hope Fletcher. Amazing. She's she's great. I mean, I think this will really launch her. And the script is by Emerald Fennell, who wrote Promising Young Woman. Oh, fantastic! And um, Killing and Eve. Was she, was she invo involved in Killing Eve? She, she she did the second series of Killing Eve. She was a great yeah. friend of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. And she she was Camilla in The Crown. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. She was. And she was in yeah. The Midwife. 
Oh my god, yeah. she's very talented. She she's does everything. Super talented, yeah. I've just seen Promising Young Woman. I saw the Oscar screener of it yesterday, and I mean, I tell you something. It's it's got to be a good chance that it'll be the best movie. That's oh, Kerry really? Mulligan, got, isn't got it? To be. Yeah, I've heard it's phenomenal. She directed and wrote it, so it's a heck of a debut. Wow. I'm thinking I'm bloody lucky to have got her. You are. It's good that you got her on your team, Andrew. Yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah. Um, this podcast is about food um, and we go and we talk about everything else, but food is kind of at the heart of this podcast. So, uh-huh. yes, growing mm. up, what do you remember about your um, the dinner table in your family home? What were you always eating? And was there music in the background? Well, there was music in the background, but the less said about my parents' dinner table, the better. <laughs> Why? Uh, much more to the point, though, is my aunt uh, was one of the very earliest TV chefs. You're kidding. Who? She was called Bala Johnston, and she taught me everything about cooking. And she also wrote back in the 1960s something which at the time deeply embarrassed me, but it was the first ever gay cookbook. Gay cookbook? Yeah, in the <laughs> 1960s. And it, it, it's the rudest book uh, that I have ever read in my life. I mean, I went through all the time when I was doing Jesus Christ Superstar, literally praying that nobody could work out that my aunt... You were related. <laughs> ...was somebody called Rodney Spoke, who wrote that, worked that one out, um, uh, who wrote Rodney the... Rodney Spoke. <laughs> ...the game cookbook, which had titles and uh, chapters like Too Many Cops Spoiled the Bread, and things like this. Oh, my uh, God! This woman! Uh, and uh, I adored her. I adored her. She really taught me how to cook, and she sort of introduced me to the world of wine and... Um, and show business because she was an actress too. She was an actress. She knew people like I, she was frightfully glamorous in my book. She knew sort of people like Vida Hope, who directed The Boyfriend, and she knew John Gilgood and Tony Hancock and all these people. Oh wow! So, hon, she was like the George Eliot of kind of filthy food literature. <laughs> well, she was very. She was a very very naughty woman, and to this day, there are things that I cannot quote that my aunt said because. Um, as times get more and more politically correct, I can quote her less and less. <laughs> so what did she teach you to cook that what you can remember? Well, really everything, you know, and I, I, you probably don't know this, but for six years or five years it was, I was the food critic for the Daily Telegraph. You're kidding. Yeah, in, in about 1997 to about 19, just after the millennium. I feel, I feel like, Andrew, that's like the best job ever. You get to eat well or not, and kind of experience all these things. I feel like you, I want your life, I think. It, it was great fun, but uh, uh, the really great thing about writing the Telegraph is they called the column matter of taste, a matter of taste. And I actually wrote about what I liked. So half the time, if I didn't find a restaurant that I really thought was any good, I'd just write about something else, <laughs> which is what, <laughs> it was great fun. So you can cook as well as critique? I can cook up to a point, yeah. I mean, I was a bit rusty, but I've got a bit less rusty now in lockdown because it's been fun, you know, thinking of things again. Did you cook yesterday for Sunday meal? Funnily enough, I cooked Sunday dinner yesterday. What did you make? Well, it was it's a rather good recipe. Just sort of think about this one. Um, you can do it prosciutto, but I did it with ham. What you do is you make a, basically a basic white wine sauce uh, and then you put tomato in with it and you make, a, you, you add, add, make it to a sort of tomatoey sauce. But the trick is to put a lot of sage in, chopped up. It's got to be fresh sage, but a lot of yeah. uh, chopped up fresh, fresh sage. And I like to do it sometimes with just prosciutto, which you literally chop up and just warm it through. And it's it's lovely, yeah. absolutely lovely. And you can make it, and what do you, and serve, what do you it serve it with? Well, you can do it with um, all forms of pasta. I mean, gnocchi is quite fun. It's fun, and you could you could do lots of variations on it. Add a bit of creme fraiche if you like. 
You could do mm. a little bit of a bit of veal stock or chicken stock, whatever. I mean, really, the secret to all good cooking, really, is to have a stock that's um, to hand, either frozen or sitting in a pot somewhere. I mean, I always, if I have a chicken, shove the bones in a pot and simmer them. Um, growing up, minus your parents' cooking. Yes, minus it, please. <laughs> but was there, was there something that you, your mum was good at or your dad was good at at all? Was nothing? No, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, and you don't want to talk about my grandmother either. She lived with the family and she was even worse than my... Actually, my mother was appalling. Absolutely appalling. My, my father never, <laughs> never really did anything. Um, but I often took to the kitchen, you know, and said, look, right, this is, I mean, I, mean, I, I wouldn't let them ever do Christmas dinner. And one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was my father was the organist at the Central Hall Westminster. Uh, and um, we left Granny in charge of the, ch- of the turkey. That was a appalling error. And it stays with me <laughs> all these days. <laughs> dear, oh dear. But that was a big organ at, at the Central Bast, Hall. That Bast. is he went there. It's to, amazing. He, he went there to rebuild it. That was one of his, because he was a great organist and uh, he was off the job there. And he said, I'll take it, providing I rebuild the machine. So the mighty Wurlitzer was brought into action. And uh, he was great. John. He, was, he was a fabulous organist. And um, what was the first instrument that you played? I played the violin because my mother thrust it into my three-year-old, you know, face. Um, and one of the most embarrassing things that ever, ever happened to me was that when I was about three, I was on the cover of a magazine, now thank God extinct, called Nursery World, uh, with my violin. Um, uh, like a child prodigy. Yeah, yes, and, and the child prodigy didn't actually emerge. Um, the infant Paganini was not there. And uh, I, <laughs> I then, well, I did play the piano because my mum was a, a piano teacher. So I, I obviously did all that. And did she teach you? Yeah, she did. She did. But I mean, like so many you know, kids like me, I kind of rebelled against all of that, really. And, and I, I really learned too, well, far too much, really. But I could do too much by year, you know, and I could pick up things quite quickly. So um, I have to admit that uh, my sight reading is not as good as it ought to be. It's funny because I, I have um, I have a four-year-old daughter and I'm quite adamant I don't want her to be a singer like me, but I'm obsessed with her learning the piano. And I, I've been that pushy mother who's like started her with piano lessons and she seems up for it at the moment. The teacher's really cool. But I'm like, you want to you want to learn how to write a song? This is the basis. It's like the Latin. I'm like, you need it. I didn't have it. You need it. And she's just like, Mum, I just want to watch Little Mermaid. Like, but um, do you think you do you appreciate your mum thrusting instruments on you, or do you think it was always inevitable that you were going to be in music? Your brother is a cellist. You, you know, you, it was it was around you. I mean, it was around me. I mean, absolutely around me. Um, because my mother sort of adopted a pianist called John Lill, who won the Tchaikovsky Prize, actually, um, a bit older than me, but he kind of moved in with the family. And so with, what with my father and my, um, you know, my brother, who took to the cello immediately. I mean, he always loved the cello. And from the age of about three or four, he was going to be a cellist. I mean, there was never any question about that. Well, not that I know of anyway. Um, but he, he was um, obviously a natural for that. But I come back, coming back to the piano, I do think that all kids really should learn the piano or the guitar if they can. I mean, I personally think the piano is, is almost unbeatable because, you know, there are pianos everywhere. Um, and it, it really does, even if you're, you never intend to take up music professionally, 
or even if you never intend to be a pianist professionally, I mean, to have that rudiments of music is really important. I mean, the most important thing, one of the most important things I support and think is absolutely vital is music in schools. You know, my, my uh, foundation, we support something called the Music in Secondary Schools Trust. We've got over 10,000 children now in deprived areas in, you know, getting a weekly music lesson. And I mean, what it does for the kids, what it does, which is not necessarily about music at all, but what it really does is, is empower them. Uh, and I do think that learning the piano or an instrument is something that every kid in the country should have a right to do. Did you have, because you all played instruments, you probably didn't watch telly at home. You all played, did you play music together and have musical evenings? Well, we did, but I had a kind of model theatre where I started doing musicals at a ridiculously, prodigiously young rate. Did you? Yes. I must have been the loathsome child. (laughs) Did you star in them? Uh, Well, not really, because it was a model theatre, but the musicals, which were frightful, um, you know, okay. um, my brother was sort of co-opted into doing them and various people were co-opted into being, you know, because they were all toy things moving around, but they were all musicals. And uh, so, so I did that. Um, but I was really lucky because music was all around me. And then I took up French Hall, which was great fun. I, I like playing the French Hall. And I only gave it up when I found the Hindemith Horn Sonata, when it was uh, part of the A-level horns syllabus or whatever it was. And Hindemith and I don't agree. So I'm afraid at that point, uh, I, I didn't really... You party company. Well, there weren't really any big hits in it, really, I didn't think. Uh, no, there weren't. Beyond your own musicals, what's your favourite musical that you would listen to and go and see time and time again? Well, I think probably the best musical of all time is West Side Story. I think that's probably the best. Yeah. Uh, and probably in another way, uh, equally best is My Fair Lady. Um, you know, in its way. I mean, it's a kind of perfectly crafted piece of music, but a musical, really. But my favourite musical, and my unashamedly favourite musical, it may not be the greatest musical ever written, but I, it's my, certainly is my favourite, is South Pacific. Oh, yeah, I love yeah, it. Because, I mean, South Pacific has not only the greatest song ever written, Some Enchanted Evening, which I will go to my grave saying is the best song ever written. Um, and uh, But it's it's also, I mean... A phenomenal score. I mean, just hit after hit after hit. So Bally High, Younger Than Springtime, I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. Happy Talk, yeah, a cockeyed optimist, which is what I am at the moment. And um, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it, it's just an extraordinary, extraordinary score. I, I just find it amazing. I mean, I've got a wonderful book, which is a, a book about everything that Richard Rodgers or Oscar Hammerstein or Lawrence Hart ever wrote. Uh, so it's got all the playbills and everything, uh, but it's also got all of the reviews and um, excerpts from all of the oh reviews. Gosh, how fantastic! And it's and it's amazing, isn't it, that you think that these musicals that I've just mentioned are all great musicals. You think West Side Story didn't win the Tony Award that year and only won one Tony Award for Best Choreography. You're joking. Why? The audiences. I mean, Hal Prince, who I got to know very well, produced it. I mean, because he obviously directed Phantom of the Opera and Evita. He became a very old friend, and he said that you know, half the New York audience would walk out. They just found it too much. It wasn't a hit first time around. South Pacific in London uh, was called by one of the critics South Soporific. 
Do we not like musicals in Britain in the same way as the Americans do? It's not in our DNA in the same way as the Americans. Well, it's in ours, isn't oh, yeah. it, Jesse? We love musicals. Well, it, do you know what? It's in a younger generation's DNA in a way that it wasn't in mine. Because if you consider all my, all my friends, everybody who's in contemporary of mine, all wanted to be a Beatle or uh, in the kind of immediate few years before me, wanted to be Elvis, you know, and, and uh, musicals were in the 1960s, I mean, about as unfashionable as you could possibly make anything. I don't trust anybody, though, that I don't trust anyone who doesn't like musicals because I think there's something like not programmed right in their heart and mind because I don't understand but how you could not... there is a snobbery about yeah, theatre, but... Jesse, in Britain that, yes. that y- y- it's not serious theatre if you go to see musicals and it's full of kind of people who don't really know what theatre's about. I feel like everybody post-COVID needs to go to a musical and actually they'll feel so much better about everything. Yeah. Or they should go and, you know, watch them on TV now because I do yeah. think there's something so escapist and beautiful about them. And... I think everyone needs that. But then also, you know, you've got somebody like Harold Prince in his day, you know, with something like West Side. And then when he started directing himself, doing something like Cabaret, you know, who was always pushing the boundaries of musicals further. And in the, in the days of Rodgers and Hammerstein, people, people sort of forget that, uh, say, South Pacific took race on full frontal. I mean, and that was in 1948. Yeah. That's that song you've got to be carefully taught in there which, I mean, caused quite a few eyebrows to be raised in, you know, in America in, in say, the 19, late 1940s. I, I think people forget, you know, how often musicals do break new ground. But when they become sort of commercially successful, I think then people sort of think, oh, somehow they're a little bit, you know, they're not quite right, so a little bit below us, you know. But I do think that the new, new generation, I think that, um, quite frankly, uh, musicals are, are having a bit of a purple patch again. I, I, I'm delighted, you know, for example, I adored Six. I thought it was great fun. Which one was Six? Six. It's about the Six Wives of Henry, Henry VIII. VIII. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Great fun. I mean, it's a... And Jamie, obviously, Jamie, doing amazing yeah. things. Uh, yes, uh, the wonderful Tom McRae. Very good script there. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, and of course, Hamilton, I mean, has in, in its own way, oh, taken wow. things, um, you yeah. know, in, in, again, appealing to a, an audience that perhaps wouldn't think about going to musicals normally. I, um, we wanted to know, well, actually, firstly, let's talk about Cinderella, because that's your next production. You've started putting music out and it's beautiful. And I wanted to know, why did you want to tackle Cinderella? Well, I, um, it's, a, as usual with everything, a series of accidents. I was at a dinner in mm. uh, New York with um, some extremely high-powered television executives. And I was rather out of my depth as they were talking about American, what was the biggest success ever in the history of American television. Because they were sort of saying Super Bowl, you know, Michael Jackson, blah, 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 with the biggest thing, blah, blah, blah. I sort of piped up from my end of the table. Um, well, what about Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella? And everybody thought, poor old man, you know, he's, he's really, it's really awfully sad, you know, and he would say that, wouldn't he, you know, kind of thing. And I, I said, 1956, somebody Google it. And uh, somebody Googled it. I can't remember. I think it was one of the, it was the top TV executive talks, I think, just said, oh, my God, oh, my God, 125 million viewers in 1956. So I wow. said, uh, thank you very much. At which point they all said, uh, why don't you do a Cinderella for us? You know, because they just, we've just done Jesus Christ Superstar on one of those live things, uh, which was fantastic on NBC. And uh, they said, why don't you write one for us? 
And I said, fine, I'd love to. I'd just be great fun to do a live TV because the Rodgers and Hammerstein one was live. That was the thing. With Julie Andrews as Cinderella. Oh, perfect. She was just in My Fair Lady. So you can see why it was uh, why it was a big hit. Huge hit, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's, it's kind of one of those scores that's very, very well known. It's kind of like in America's DNA, um, but not known really here um, because it was obviously never shown here. But um, I got all these various scripts and storylines and everything, and I thought they were awful. I mean, they, they were so awful uh, with this and the other that I just um, I thought, that's the end of that. And I happened to be at a lunch where, um, with my great friends, the Fennells, whose daughter, Theo Fennells, the jeweler, and Emerald was there, you know, and she said, can I have a crack at this? So I said, fine, you know, you know, the end, uh, it, was, it was Saturday, the end of the weekend, she sends me this synopsis. And I said, that's it. Yeah, I can do this because it, every single beat of the Cinderella story is there. But when you see Promising Young Woman, you'll understand, uh, although it's not like that, it is not the Cinderella that everybody thinks. I mean, you know, the whole point of what Emerald's written is, is, is that you want to be yourself, not be what you think other people think you should be in other words don't change yourself don't try and be beautiful don't try and go to the ball dressed up as something that you're not cinderella goes to the ball and it doesn't work out in the way that she'd have liked it to and it's really that's the central message of the show i mean our cinderella is an alternative girl and uh, you know she tries to change herself to be like everybody else and it doesn't work for her I wanted to know, you've got, I mean, I'm really impressed by this because you're on TikTok and you're really quite popular on TikTok. You did the Phantom of the Wopra, I heard about. And 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 I also spied a green egg in the background of one of your TikToks, which uh, really, really pleased me. I wanted to know how you were getting on with your green egg barbecue and is it worth it? Well, the green egg is a very good thing. I've been banned by my daughter who does all my uh, you know social media stuff. Um, she uh, has banned me from doing what I thought was a very, very good video where I demonstrate how you can make deep fried ice cream. This is important content, I think. I, I agree. I agree. Uh, but she says that I mentioned the government too much in it. I, I do say that because I'm no longer able to be a composer, that I've now had to turn my hand to being a chef. And um, because I say that Rishi says that, you know, people like me, you know, are no longer required should be in new professions. This is... Um, uh, you know, considered to be not good news. So um, sadly, I don't, I don't think we're going to see the deep fried ice cream, although the footage all exists. And at the end of it, you see a perfect deep fried ice cream. Perfect. I think we need to start a hashtag that says justice for Andrew's deep could fried you, ice could cream. Could you say justice for deep fried ice cream, <laughs> please? I should be delighted. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Has there ever been any kind of memorable moments with particular singers of what they will or will not eat? Because I need to know all these things. I'm quite neurotic about what I eat before I sing. And so is there anything that's been quite memorable that you've you've just been like, I don't like I don't understand this. We had John Legend on and I said I'd heard this yeah. rumour that he liked to eat chicken before he sung. Fried chicken. Fried chicken. And he actually said that that was a a true story and that he kind of it worked for him and his voice. Mm. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know that it's always said that you aren't supposed as a singer to have dairy. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I was married to Sarah Brightman for five years. And, um, you know, uh, she was always, she never really ate that much before she sang. Do you know, I never really, really thought about it. Well, we, we really, really want to talk about divas. Who's your biggest diva star that you've worked with? Well, and then that can be a positive diva. That can diva be a positive diva. in the most positive one. way, the most kind of glam, uh, you know, a diva that is glamorous and fulfills the star quality that you all imagine. Well, probably the biggest diva I've ever worked with, and that was only vaguely, was Shirley Bassett. Oh, wow. Who was quite wonderful. Yeah, I mean, she fired me from the piano playing my own song, which is a bit of a shame. <laughs> uh, she said, it doesn't go like that. It was everything as if we never said goodbye from... It was a New Year's Eve we had. <laughs> we had a wonderful New Year's Eve party with her and Joan Collins. So oh, my people. goodness. Um, uh, and uh, and we were... I was. Uh, we had a sing-song at about sort of one in the morning and Shirley sort of attempted to get on the piano, I mean, jump on it. It wasn't a success. Uh, and we um, then... Um, she wanted to do everything as if we never said goodbye. So I played it. And she said, it doesn't go like that. I said, it does. She said, no, it doesn't go like that. I said, I wrote it. And she said, no, it doesn't go like that. Uh, so then Howard Goodall, you know, one of the <laughs> yeah. himself, who would stay with us, he got on the piano and played it. And he said, well, she said, it doesn't go like that, Howard. So the end of it, she just sang it her own way. Now, um, she, um, I, I think she'll eat anything. Um, I mean, all of the, uh, I mean, all of the old stars, you know, that I know, from the, the old days, they they never really bothered about what they did at all. Um, I mean, like, and, and I mean, you think of somebody like Michael Ball, you know, I mean, he'll have a bag before he goes off and sings, <laughs> and you never know <laughs> That's amazing. Can Shelley still sing? Is she like Tom Jones, that the voice is always there? Oh, fantastic, you know, fantastic. I mean, one of the most incredible um, artists who I never worked with, but I was taken to see, funnily enough, um, not long afterwards he died. Um, but that, I had no idea that he was ill, and I did, nor did anybody else at the time. Uh, but I was taken by Liza Minnelli to go and see Sammy Davis in uh, uh, Monaco. Um, and, oh, my goodness. I, do you know, it's one of those funny things, isn't it, that I guess when you're young, you pigeonhole certain people. And I kind of had got Sammy Davis into my mind that he was a kind of cabaret, kind of, you know, what can I say, kind of talk of the town type artist, you know. And uh, I, I, I never really never really thought that I ever like anything by him. I went to this concert and I don't think I've ever felt more humble in my life because I just thought I, I completely missed this guy, you know, and, and, and he's one of the greatest musicians and one of the greatest natural voices I've ever heard. 
he did one thing where he sang, he was singing a kind of a, a, a kind of jazz impro thing. The audience, the orchestra stopped, and for about two minutes, he was just improvising and doing scat stuff and everything. And when the orchestra came back in, he was in exactly the right key and hadn't moved key at all. Wow. You know, and I thought, God, you know, and I remember afterwards, I just said to him, I, I have to apologize. This is the first time I've ever seen you live, you know. And like, I don't know anything because we had dinner after that. And I do know, I can't remember what he ate. Damn it. <laughs> and like, was Liza Minnelli with you? Yeah, Liza took me. She swept me up in the car and said, you're coming to hear him. Uh, you know, we, we was in France. We were down in the south of France and uh, we went down to the Monaco Sporting Club where he was. Uh, but it was it was pretty, pretty impressive, I have to say. I bet. Liza, I've always loved Liza. Um, you know, she's great. I think she's, she pretty much eats everything. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, you must go to the theatre almost every night. Do you eat before you go to the theatre or after? Well, first, I don't go to the theatre every night. Don't you? Um, I, I mean, I... No, I probably go once a week, but not every not every okay. night. You know, it depends. I think I'd I'd like to eat before. It is funny thing, isn't it? As you get older, I mean, I used to love you know kind of a lot of really great great restaurants and things. But as you get older, you sort of find that you want to kind of go back to simpler food. I think. Yeah. I I certainly find that now that um, I don't want anything which is too extraordinary. I mean, one of the things, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you, you may well have done because you go, go to America so often. But um, I mean, ha- have you noticed that everything in America has now got very spicy? Oh, uh, no, but I remember there was a moment with heirloom. Everything was heirloom potatoes or tomatoes. Oh, yes, heirloom, everything. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and hand, hand-dived scallops and, uh, you know, all of that. Farm yeah. to table. Everything Heritage, yes. Table. Yeah. Um, no. But, but everything has, has got quite spicy, I think. God, you need to spice up kale. Oh, kale. <laughs> don't, don't talk to me about kale. I mean, <laughs> it is the most ridiculous thing. My wife breeds horses. And I mean, that's what you give to the horses. <laughs> and when you see kale, designer kale, you know, going for more than cabbage, I mean, give over. Yeah. Give us a break. I know, I agree entirely. Oh, my God. Kale. It, is, it is actually the most inedible vegetable. It is. Yeah, it, it, and there's no point of it. I mean, it, it's, there's a reason it's given to cattle and horses. <laughs> oh, my God, this is amazing. That's, yeah. that's the teaser. That yeah, definitely is. Definitely. What, what, where are some of your favourite restaurants then? Because you must eat, I mean, you must eat out in London a lot when, when we can and, and, and New York. I mean, where are, you, where are some of your favourite restaurants um, where you've had your most beautiful meals? Very, very favourite restaurant in New York, probably because it's the first sort of really great restaurant in New York that I went to and it's still there, is La Grenouille. You know, the great... I don't know it. Uh, it's a really, it, it's a very, very old-fashioned French restaurant that has been in New York for years and years and years and years. And when I was doing Jesus Christ Superstar back then, way back then, that was the first really sort of grand restaurant I was taken to there. And uh, the food is as good as it as it is, you know. Uh, yeah. Ever, well, yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, the thing about it was coming back to the spicy food business. I went there, oh... 18 months ago. And, you know, I thought the food's not as great as it used to be. And then I thought, it's because I'm having all this spicy food. So I went and I just literally um, went back to my hotel and just thought, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to literally have the most simple things possible, you know, just literally sort of scrambled egg or something, you know, and nothing and blah, blah, blah. And then I went back to La Grey Wheel again. 
And then I thought it was the greatest restaurant that I'd been to for years and years uh, because the tastes are so much more subtle. I just wonder, have you got, how many theatres do you have? Is it seven? Seven, yeah. And have you got musicals in every theatre? Uh, yes, we have, yes. Because I didn't, we, we did when um, I bought the theatre group, which contains the Palladium and um, the Theatre Rodbury Lane. There were four playhouses there, but we let those go um, because plays are not really, um, I produced, uh, I think I produced about half a dozen plays, but they're not, you know, really what I do. And so we, we thought that it was best to uh, stick to the musicals. And I mean, one of the things we decided when I first heard about uh, COVID, which was, I have to say, it was this time last year, almost to the day, uh, when I heard about it from Korea, um, we, we knew in the, the beginning of February that it was likely to be very serious. And um, we were in the middle at that point of the huge refurbishment and rebuilding of the Theatre Royal Drury Lane. It was a massive, great project. And we decided that what we were going to do was to protect that and make sure that we, we could keep that on track as best we could because, uh, I mean, it, it has in actual fact been derailed by about six months because it should have been finished last August, but uh, it's still, the auditorium is, is finished and the stage tower and all of that's finished now, but uh, we still got front pass to do. But anyway, uh, but the other thing we decided we were going to do uh, was to look at all the theatres and decide what work could we do in the theatres that we would not be able to do with a show there. And so we've completely rebuilt the auditorium of the Gillian Lynn and in time for Cinderella. We've, re, we've redone the, tar, the fly tower at the uh, Adelphi. Uh, we've done a lot of work at Her Majesty's. It's absolutely impossible with Phantom of the Opera play. And so we thought, what could we do within, you know, reason? And I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that we have done that. I mean, we've done a lot of things like ventilation, you know, we've looked at in all the buildings. And um, I think it's a total of 167 new loos, mostly ladies, have gone in. Oh, oh thank I'm very you. pleased to we hear that. We will all yeah. appreciate that at um, the interval. Yeah. Masterminded by my wife. Of course. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the Theatre Royal Drury Lane, I think, is one of my favourite theatres. I remember seeing um, Chorus Line there. And it was yeah. sensational to watch it. There. And it's frozen. You're, is Frozen going on there? Frozen's going in there. <gasps> well, that'll be full every night. Well, you've made me so happy talking about theatre. I miss it so much. And it's just made me feel wonderful thinking that, that all these good things are going to happen. It's going to be wonderful when we reopen it. Yeah. But the one thing I want to do at one day at the lane is to do Shakespeare there again, because it used to be the great home of Shakespeare. Oh, really? And, and my aunt took me to see John Gilgood in uh, my rude aunt took me to see John Gilgood doing the Tempest in there, which was the last when I was about nine years old. And the Tempest was the last Shakespeare play to play there. Oh, that would um, be really brilliant. We've got we've got two more questions to ask you that are food related that we ask every guest. The one is your last supper, which would be a starter, a main, a pudding, and a drink of choice. And I think I know the song that you'd go there with would be Some Enchanted Evening, I guess. you Maybe you'd play. Well, food-wise, mm. quite a difficult one, really, but actually not that difficult. I think I'd have the Cornel de Broche, uh, which they do, you know, the pike um, Cornel that they do at the Grenwy, uh, which is marvellous, which they do in a sort of very light champagne sauce. Mm, okay. And um, then this is a bit of a toss-up, really, but uh, whether to do the poulet grand-mère that they do there, the chicken there, which is just very simply done with sort of bacon and, um, and uh, just 
a really great old-fashioned French recipe, or whether to do the chicken with the slightly decadent way of putting truffles underneath the skin, which oh, I quite wow. like. Which is that? That's a, that's a good one. That's a very good one. And then I think probably a tart tatin. Oh, you're going full French. Yeah, full French, classic. Yeah, French. I go French. Yeah. I go classic French with this. Yeah. And drink yeah, of definitely. choice. Drink of choice. Well, you see, it's a long time now. It's about five years since I last uh, had wine, which is annoying, really. But I think if it was the last, um, if it was the last ever supper, uh, depends when it is, of course. I mean, if it's a few years' time, but based on the wine that I always remember, okay. So this is one of the, the days that I did drink. The best wine I can ever, well, the two great red wines I can remember drinking, the 1961 Chateau Palmer, absolutely wonderful. And that should still be good. And, of course, now ridiculously expensive because wine's become so expensive. But the best uh, ever Burgundy I've ever tasted was the 78 Remini Conti. It was absolutely yeah. astounding. I'm writing these so, I mean, down, Jesse. I have those. So if this was a, a, a Last Supper, and on the grounds that now these wines are so expensive that anyway, why would I care? Because I'm not, I'm not going to be around to see. Yeah. I just spent the money. How much do you think the Romani Conti is a bottle? God knows. Do you know, it's absolutely absurd what they're sort of paying for these things. I mean, it might be 15 grand, you know. You're what? joking no. for one bottle? No, I'm not. I'm not joking. I bet you I wouldn't be far short. I don't know. You should Google it. Um, right, you're paying, but some of these, Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's well, I know. I mean, but I've got, I mean, most you... If it's your last supper, you might as well do it, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, do you think you've got good table manners? I, I, I think I probably do. I think probably my aunt did teach me decent table manners. She sounds fun. Along with her cocker. Oh, she was. <laughs> oh, she was. She was absolutely wonderful. She, I remember a flight with her from Paris down to Nice, where she went round the whole aeroplane asking people to write down as many rude four-letter words as they could possibly think of. <laughs> oh, my God. And... Uh, and all these, I mean, astonished French people, you know, sort of thinking, who is this woman? And, I mean, uh, she was Auntie Bai, and she came up with words that she made sound rude that, you know, he never would have even thought of. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I adored her, and she, uh, she had this fabulous sense of humour. Anyways, and she taught me all I knew about food. Last question. Karaoke song... Which song are you going to choose from your own musical? From my own musicals? Yeah. I guess it's got to be any dream will do, really, because that's what everybody oh. knows. Do you like singing that one? I do. It, it is, it, it's a lovely one to get everyone in the spirit. Well, too, it's the ah, doing, ah, isn't it? It's the last. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the bit everybody remembers. <laughs> it's been such a treat to chat to you um, for this hour. And thank you so much for doing it's this. It's been a joy. Um, I've really, we've loved it so, so Every much. Minute. Um, thank Wonderful. you. Thank you. And I'm um, sending you loads, loads, of loads of love. Lots of love. has really put me in a good mood. Oh, it's cheered me up because it's made me hopeful that theatre's coming back. I really want to go for dinner with him now. I want to go to that place in New York. Le Grenier. Let him order. Let him order the wine. I've never heard of it. Have you? No. Oh, so producer Alice just looked up the wine just so we could get <laughs> clarification on the cost of the wine. Because I'm thinking of my It's not 15. Party. It's only 10 grand. So there you go. 
sorted. Um, but thank you, Andrew Lloyd Webber. That was amazing to chat to him and to hear what he's doing. He doesn't seem to stop, to be honest. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening and stay safe. Table Manners is produced by Alice Williams.